Welcome to episode 197 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasts. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Speaking of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, I believe you have a little announcement you want to drop. I do. Big, big news. So we have added two new podcasts to the lineup. Two. One is called the Assurance of Pardon Podcast, which is, um, you know, it's kind of your standard two guys talking about theology podcast. But this is the exciting part is it's two pastors talking about theology. So we've got we a couple got pastors. pastors. Well, we, yeah, we have a couple of people in the in the society who are pastors or in pastoral roles of some sort. But this is a, a podcast by pastors really talking about theology. Right. So check it out. Uh, it's Assurance of Pardon. If you subscribe to the mega feed, you've already got their entire back catalog pushed straight to your phone. And the second is a newer podcast that I've actually referenced before, and it is called Christ in Context. And it's put together by Kevin, uh, who uh, works pretty close with Luke over at Steady Anchor Podcast. And his show, you know, I've mentioned before that there's a gap in the podcasting world. Uh, This is part of why we did the Micah cast, right? Is there's a gap in the podcasting world of biblical theology or exegetical theology podcasts. Right. Part of that is that it's hard to do that kind of stuff you know, digitally, it's hard to do that in an audio format, but Kevin does a great job of kind of breaking down a passage. He talks about some of the sort of exegetical issues sometimes. Um, He talks about how the passages are taken out of context. Um, He's actually going to be starting kind of an ongoing series. I think he's still trying to narrow in on which book he wants to do, but he's going to be starting an ongoing series that's basically just like an exposition podcast of, uh, of a given book. So check them out. Uh, Assurance of Pardon Podcast and Christ in Context, two newest members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Mo Podcasts, Mo Theology. That's what I always say. I just realized when I did the intro, I think I said Society of Reformed Podcasts, didn't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't even know what the name of our network is sometimes. <laughs> That's okay. That's why this worked out absolutely beautifully. But this yeah. is exciting because I, I don't know what we're trying to do except to collect them all. We're trying to put together yeah. a really solid network. Of so obviously there's a lot of stuff that's in the same veins in the same stream but beautiful variety in this so I do hope people yeah. go out and get access to that mega feed which has yeah. all of these podcasts and you're going to get all of the episodes downloaded it's like having a radio station of amazing theology that you can yeah. just you can just pull it up at any time you're in your car you're at work you're on the treadmill what else could you be doing you're digging a hole and there you just need a little theology boom. Yeah, I, I think one of the best things about our network is, for the most part, like if you listen to all the shows in the mega feed, no matter kind of what mega level feed. what what level you're at, there's a show that's done by someone who's just like you. For sure, right? you know, like you can listen to some really top notch, high level theology, Christ the Center. You know, Reform Forum is one of the best podcasting groups around. They make some of the best content, but it can get really technical. So some of that's not approachable. But I think on our you know, our show has like the whole spectrum, right? We, we, right? You and I do some pretty technical kinds of theology sometimes. And then as you, you know, and it's not up and down. It's just different levels of knowledge, different understandings, different ways of articulating things. We've got guys who are are in Bible college right now. We've got seminarians. We've got guys who are in retirement. There's a little bit of everything, um, except women, I guess, which I guess it's <laughs> it's kind of a boys club at this point. Anyone who's listening who's going, man, what a bunch of sexists. There's no rule saying there can't be women podcasters. No, we need some women. We'd love to get some women voices in We this. actually tried to re- recruit some women for the Society of Reformed Podcasters, and there was some sort of like personal theology issues that they, they didn't feel comfortable joining this group. So I don't know why I felt necessary to do that big disclaimer, but... Um, yeah, so check it out. You can go to report, reformpodcasts.com. You can search for Society of Reform Podcasters on any podcast app, and you should be able to find us. Check it out. Lots of great content. All right, so that's enough great advertising. Let me kick us off then into some affirmations and denials for this week. Let's do and it. I'm starting with, this is in the rubric of applications slash websites. I don't know why I feel the need to label the genus and species every time now, but it just seems like I want to give people a heads up. So I'm affirming with this idea, which I was aware of for a little while, but only recently started using. I think everybody's heard, at least maybe in passing or as a joke about the fake number, how 
if you really don't want a company to call you, you give them a fake number. And so I've been using this website called maildrop.com. And what it allows you to do is to create basically it's a fake email address. So when you sign up for something, you're not getting spammed all the time. But what's brilliant is of course, like it allows you to check email that's come into that address. So like if you need to receive a confirmation, in other words, like sign up for something that you're trying to apply for online, you can do all that stuff. This is just so wonderfully helpful. I love that there are websites out there for basically burner emails. And this is like the world we've come to now because I have this issue with where just like driver's licenses, like your ID in the United States is for the most part, your identification, your formal identification is wrapped up with your ability to drive a vehicle or operate a vehicle in the same way. So much of course of our logins is also associated with your email address, which right. oftentimes just seems unfair. So this site is fantastic. Mail drop, super awesome. And you kind of feel a little bit covert when you're using it. It's kind of like yeah. an element of like, like again, like you have a burner phone and like you're committing some kind of nefarious act when really you just don't want spam, but it's kind of a wonderful yeah. way to lean into that experience. It's kind of like you're Jason Bourne online. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. There's another way that you can accomplish that same thing without using a special app. If you have Gmail, you can actually add I've done plus, this too. plus, and then anything after your email and it'll still go through, but then you can basically create unlimited, it. you can create unlimited email addresses and then you can filter it. So it's helpful if you, you know, you sign up for something and you want to make sure you, you label it for that thing. You could do like, uh, let's say you play Pokemon go. I love Pokemon go. I could do my email address plus Pokemon go at gmail.com and it would come in under that email address and then you can set up rules and filtering on it. But the mail drop is cool. I've never used mail drop because I, th- I think you're right. It does, sort of feel a little shady, even though it's not. <laughs> um, I know there are lots of people that use it to like take advantage of free offers more than once, which oh, I don't, I, I did not I don't think, about think that. that I would suggest that. I, I yeah. actually think that's probably a, a seventh commandment issue. Seventh? Yeah. Seventh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, ethics aside, it is a cool service, and it definitely has a purpose if you have to sign up for something legitimately, but you don't really want to get like endless emails from them. Yeah, it's more about that. That's the thing is like, for instance, this week, somebody had sent me a link to the New York Times and it allowed you to get a better sense of all yeah. their COVID measurements. So I was like, yeah, I, actually, that's super sweet. So I was trying to, it has everything organized by county. You can go in and see the trends, the seven day moving average, 14 day. But just to do that, of course, right. they wanted me to sign up. And I was like, oh, you weasels are going to send me a bunch of emails, aren't you? Even though you're saying (laughs) you're not going to send me a bunch of emails. By the way, before we get like a ton of emails, speaking of emails, to the info at Reform Brotherhood or people leave us voicemails, the seventh commandment is the thou shalt not commit adultery, which I'm presuming was not exactly where you're going unless you were talking about relationships and using it in a nefarious way to commit adultery. I just can't remember which (laughs) commandment is which once I get past six. So it must be eight. Not steal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. I mean, actually, it could be seven or eight, depending on how you label them. And um, also depending on what you're signing up for that you want to use a burner <laughs> for. <laughs> that is not what I had in mind, though, just to clarify. I was thinking more along the lines of the implication of taking advantage of a free offer more than once by masking your identity with a fake email. Fair I enough. I was not See, talking about hiding just become... your identity by signing up for naughty, <laughs> naughty websites. Although that probably would also be a, an application for this that people yes, use it for. That's actually kind of more where I thought you were going at first. But then the no. more I thought about it, the more I was like, I think you're just talking about so, offers generally. So here's what happens. Here's what happened in real time, folks. <laughs> Jesse gave me this strange look, and I knew immediately that I got the one wrong. And then you may have heard it, and, and I'm, I'll, I'll try to make sure that you don't. I don't edit it out when I f- adjust the sound levels. Jesse furiously pounding away yes. at his keyboard to figure out which commandment I was actually talking about. So yes, that's that's what just happened. This proves we operate without a safety net because any responsible podcast would edit this whole segment out and just yes, get rid of it. Probably. So let not. me let me add to that by saying when I was in high school, for whatever reason, this is a horrible way to intro the story because it's not going anywhere near where yeah. it sounds like it's about to go. But when I was in high school, somebody gave a talk in chapel where they did this really good job of connecting all of the numbers in the Ten Commandments to some kind of idea or visual image that is represented in the commandment itself. And honestly, ever since that talk, it was a single talk. I have never been able to forget it, and now I remember them. And for me, the number seven, this this is how it's going in my mind, I lay the number seven down 
and it seems like a bed with a headboard and you can do the rest there. So in number eight, yeah. if you lay the number eight down, it looks like infinity symbol or a set of handcuffs. And of course you get handcuffed or taken to jail or arrested if you steal. So that's, that's immediately why, but then I was kind of like, I think he actually means he's talking about like going to like weird websites and that's what he's trying to reference here. So no, I didn't want to be not. like, no, that's incorrect, I don't, sir. I don't get embarrassed very easily, but right now I can feel myself blushing. So <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So what are you affirming this week? So this is a weird transition. I'm affirming Nick Weisel from the uh, Reformed Pilgrims podcast. So that was this so last good. week, you know, we we did our episode on church and state and uh, Jim and Nick got together and they did an episode kind of reflecting on the same topic. And this is part of what I love about the Society of Reformed Podcasters to kind of tie into our, our promotional material, I guess, is like you get these real reflections in real time from different people who are at different places in their faith journey and their education and their understanding of scripture. Right. And, you know, I, I've known Nick, I think it's probably been about three or four years. And when I first met Nick, it wasn't like he was a dumb guy, but it's been a joy to sort of watch him grow and mature theologically and watch him sort of develop into this really sharp, clear theological thinker who really takes theology seriously and really thinks through topics carefully. Um, so I'm just affirming him. Go check out their show. If you don't listen to Reform Pilgrims, why don't you listen to Reform Pilgrims? Um, it was a really great episode. I mean, Jim Jim and Nick just hit it out of the park, and they, they both had really, really wise things to say about how do we think about church-state relations and lockdowns. Both of them live in California, so they're facing, you know, I live in New Hampshire where our governor basically has said, like, yeah, churches can still do whatever they want. They don't really, they're not businesses, so they don't fall under any of the regulations. And I know Pennsylvania has had some lockdowns and some restrictions, but by and large hasn't been kind of tyrannical like the governor of California really has. But they, they both had really wise respectful things to say that really did. I mean, it tracks really closely to what you and I talked about last week, but really it has more to do with how do we respect and honor God and each other through this, through this situation that we find ourselves in. So check it out, especially want to affirm Nick from the reform pilgrims podcast. Um, but check out this last episode. I think it was one of the best episodes they've done. I did catch some of that and it was really, really brilliant. And I want to kind of parlay that into some form of affirmation encouragement for all of the people who listen yeah. to us and these podcasts, because it's always a process of being reformed and reforming. So we're always yeah. growing. And this is the process of being involved in the conversation, whether that's online in our Facebook group or just with each other. It's this idea that we always have so much to learn, but I really admire those Christian brothers and sisters who lean in a bit to trying to understand God greater in a greater sense. And sometimes the best way for us to do that is to listen and read a little bit above our heads. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. There's nothing that says we have to understand everything that we hear or that we read, but merely that we try to expose ourselves to greater degrees, almost from glory to glory as we try to understand God better. And yeah. then, of course, from that understanding, flowing a sense of doxology and praise and worship, and that we're, that's the abundant life, is serving God in a way that is connected both heart and mind. And yeah. so they're moving and working in consummate harmony and unity toward the end of obedience and piety. So yeah. I love those guys. Those brothers are very dear to me because yeah. I can see it's wonderful to be a part of friendships and communities where you see growth happening. And we should always be asking ourselves and talking to our neighbors, and our loved ones, like, you know, how are we growing? What are we doing? What is God doing in our lives? How have you seen God work in my life? Where is there still room for improvement? So uh, that's just a great affirmation all around. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the other thing that I think it, it bears saying is, you know, we're in this these troubled times. And what I've loved about sort of growing and developing this podcasting community is like, you're seeing people reflect on theology and reflect on what's going on in their lives and how the, what, how the Bible speaks to that and what God has to say about that in real time, basically with most of these podcasts. Right. So whether it's, you know, whether it's the, the Bobcast putting out a special episode talking about Herman, Herman Bovink's reflections on racial inequality in America in the fifties, you know, in, in the earlier part of the century here, I must have fifties and sixties, which is way too late for Bobbing. But whether it's them putting out something specifically in their wheelhouse about Bobbing or whether it's Nick and Jim 
who live in California who are facing restrictions that much of the country are not, or or me and you kind of like rehashing some of the stuff we talked about when we're on vacation last week, you're seeing this stuff worked out in real time with, with most of these podcasts. And I think there's something valuable to that. You know, podcasting is not a ministry. It's not like a teaching ministry or anything like that in, in any sort of formal sense. But I think podcasters sort of have this position of sort of like demonstrating how to do theology publicly, not like we're teaching publicly, but, but we're doing theology in public in a way that pastors aren't and theologians, like academic theologians aren't. It's really more like how should, how are lay people doing theology publicly that I think is really valuable with a lot of these podcasts. And in many ways, I hope it serves as an encouragement for all people that theology is applicable and approachable and practical for all kinds of living, that it's not just relegated to some kind of small group of the select few who have a certain kind of intellectual capacity, but this is God's gift to all people in all places. And so there's something about, I would say, let me say it this way, something about the lay people kind of rising up and embracing this challenge to take theology seriously as we ought to, and then to live it out in their lives. And I think podcasting yeah. can be a wonderful place where hopefully people get encouraged to go back into the scriptures and into the confessions to do just that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to short circuit our normal course of events here, and I'm going to throw another affirmation here on the pile. Switching it up. All right, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. So many of you have heard by now, um, a dear saint in the Lord, uh, J.I. Packer went home to be with Jesus uh, this past week. And I'm affirming, you know, you, you can go online and read myriad um, honors and eulogies and all sorts of things. So I'm not going to do all that. Honestly, J.I. Packer is not someone who influenced my Christian walk all that much. I, you know, he was sort of always a background character for me. But I'm affirming the life and ministry of J.I. Packer. And I personally have never read Knowing God all the way through. I've read samplings here and there and, and excerpts. But I started working my way through Knowing God. And it is just a delightful winsome theology book to read. It's not a systematic theology in sort of like the purest sense, but it is it is systematically approaching theology specifically right. with the intention of teaching teaching the saints to know God, not just to know about God. It's not focused so much on the knowledge of God as it is on knowing God personally in a theological sense. So it really is a delightful book. It's it's a little bit different than probably what um, you're used to reading. So I'm affirming that book. I'm affirming the life and ministry of J.I. Packer. There's a good chance that whatever theologian you look to and say, this has been the most influential person in my life, theologically, there's a good chance for people in, in yours and my generation that they're going to say that J.I. Packer is going to be in their list of people who influence them. So uh, check them out. J.I. Packer, Knowing God is kind of his most famous work. He has all sorts of really good works, but I, I just, I've been really blessed so far starting to work my way through that book. I think there's very little to add to that. He was so influential in so many ways, and I think you're exactly right. I want to kind of add a plug for that book because it's in many ways a classic. I think you described it best by calling it winsome. It's a wonderful composite of all different types of theology in a way that wins you over to the influence of how it should impact your life. And he just, once again, talk about a theologian who made this you made it available so you could reach out and wrap your arms around it and in yeah. so doing feel equipped to live the Christian life to a greater degree. That is just amazingly valuable. I think sometimes, honestly, if we tend to be the kind of people that have a penchant for the more technical stuff, we look at that stuff and say, well, I'm going to read something else instead because what I really want is like a higher degree of intellectualism. And what you find there is I actually think more the middle ground of bringing together what is high intellect and high piety and we really shouldn't cast that kind of literature aside. If anything, that's the kind that we should start with reading because it should it really should impact and change us. It should result in a behavior modification that results of a reminder of what it means to have a regenerated heart. And he just does a really good job of bringing all those things together. Yeah. Yeah, let me just read a little excerpt of this. This is in the, uh, the second chapter. I, I think it's the second chapter. And he says... Um, we come to know God through Jesus Christ, the Lord, in virtue of his cross, with meditation on uh, verse of his cross and mediation on the basis of his word of promise by the power of the Holy Spirit via a personal experience of faith. And this is basically his definition 
of the gospel. This, this is what happens to the saint in the gospel. But his whole point is he's saying there are a lot of people who could recite that definition of the gospel who have never actually come to know God himself. Right. And he says at the end of this little section here, he says, a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. And that really summarizes the whole book, I think. I mean, I, like I said, I haven't read the whole thing through yet, but I've read enough excerpts. No, that summarizes the whole point of the book is that the point of theology whether it's academic theology or theology done in the pulpit or theology done on a podcast, the whole point of theology is to know and serve God more and to know and serve God better, qualitatively better, right? The, the chief end of man is to know God and fully to enjoy him. That's the point of theology is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him. And that's really what this book is about. So check out the book, check out other works that he's done. I mean, he was a, he was a prolific theologian. He wrote all sorts of great stuff, but knowing God definitely is his kind of most famous, most well-known work. And there's a good reason for that. Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm going to end us then on a downer because I'm going back to the denials. Let's do it. Are you ready? And I, yeah. this is not necessarily original. I'm actually going to reach back into what we talked about last week, because I just saw it again this week. And so I can't help but more or less double down on this denial of conflating the idea of American culture and biblical Christianity. And I want to give an example, because I think we talked about this. Well, I know we talked about this, but we didn't give like explicit examples. And yet it was no sooner than we finished that conversation. I saw something online where I was like, this is exactly the thing that we were talking about. So someone uh, that we both know had posted an image because the major league baseball season just started. It was the image of the San Francisco giants right before the beginning of the game during the national anthem. And there was just one player on their team who stood during the anthem instead of kneeling. And this particular post circled that player and just said, brave. Yeah. Now I think everybody's entitled to their opinion about the national anthem and about how they want to respect it, how they want to honor both what's going on in our country with respect to all of the horrible racial inequality and with respect to however you feel about the representation of America by way of that particular song. You're entitled to that opinion. And I think that's a full stop. The problem is when we begin to conflate all of that with what Christianity would teach us and what, what it means to serve God and to love others. And so what bothered me more was not necessarily that post, although I think that coming from a certain type of person that's going to send a particular image to Christians, especially if the right. person posting it is looked up to by other Christians right. as an example of, well, this, the, what they're making is a statement, a spiritual statement in addition to a political statement. And of course, when we start to conflate those two, that's when we run into problems. But what bothered me more, and was really the example I'm denying against, is someone, I think, in, of course, good conscience, in trying to contribute to the conversation, posted this old lithograph, as as a legitimate response to that post, posted this old lithograph picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing, refusing to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. As if like these two are the same thing that we're talking about. That is the problem. It's this kind of idea where we're not thinking about the difference between even the biblical context and our modern context. But I'm just denying against us being quick as Americans. And I'm just blaming us as Americans. And we're, we're, you and I are in that group in terms of we're part of this culture that we just need to be really, really careful these days with the things that we post. It was just such a conflation of things that really did not belong together. And for me, once again, I've used this phrase all the time. I was like, wow, this is an adventure in missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, there's a good argument to be made that is made um, that certain organizations, particularly in mind, uh, I know the person you're talking about. I know the argument that they've made in the past. And it's not a bad argument that there's a distinction between Uh, In this case, they're talking about like Black Lives Matter, racial reconciliation. There's a distinction to be made between the um, sentiment that Black Lives Matter, right? The idea that uh, our country has been historically a place where um, members of uh, African-American descent or or descent from basically non-white descent, um, that their lives have not counted as much as white counterparts in similar demographics. And there's a good argument to be made for that sentiment. But the argument is that that sentiment needs to be held distinct from the the organization or the movement Black Lives exactly. Matters, which explicitly uh, opposes certain Christian values. If not Christianity explicitly, it opposes 
the traditional understanding of the family of a man and a woman married to each other with children. Uh, it, it opposes uh, any sort of idea of authority that is centralized because they just see that as a tool of oppression. And so the argument that's being implicitly made with some of these is that that Black Lives Matter as, as an organization is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think there's a reasonable argument to make that in terms of the organization. But the problem is that when these things are put forward without nuance and without any sort of clarification, that's the really difficult part. This particular instance was on Twitter. You can't make fine nuances and characterizations on Twitter when you don't have... You don't have more than 288 characters or whatever it's up to now. You just can't do it. We, we see Tim Keller's fall and pray to that on theological issues regarding uh, theology proper, right? Tim Keller doesn't have a heretical theology proper, but when he tries to summarize what he's talking about in 288 characters, he does. So I, I think you're right. And, and the response to it, that that use of that, it, it's, a, it's a common meme. It that, is. That image of... The Nebuchadnezzar's image and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow. Most people don't really know what that comes from in our right. culture. Like they, they don't understand where that comes from. But the Christians who understand where it comes from, they're unintentionally equating um, resisting a political ideology with resisting flat out idolatry. Right. Right. Like exactly. physical, corporeal, actual idolatry, worshiping an idol image. They're equating those two things together in a way that I don't think they they really realize. But but that probably actually demonstrates something about their underlying sign of subconscious theology that they really do equate some of these ideals of American freedom, American individualism, the things that are frankly are under attack by some of these groups like Black Lives Matters or Antifa or these other groups, um, they're under attack. American ideals are under attack. And American ideals are, whether people like to acknowledge it or not, are based on biblical conviction. But they're equating this um, fighting against these American ideals with fighting against religion in a way that just really looks like they're conflating American idealism and religion together, American idealism and Christianity together. And that's that's a real concerning trend. And what's often very sad, as in this instance, is it becomes more heat than light. I mean, both right. you and I would agree that Christians should be in this world, those who are in the forefronts of all types of reconciliation and humility. Right. So what we're saying here is, of course, this idea of bringing all of God's people together in unity is, a, is in fact, what is the Christian ethic. That is something that we right. should be working towards under the guide of the Holy Spirit. And yet at the same time, I, when stuff like this arises, I really would just, what I would say to Christians is, can you just abstain from that kind of posting? Yeah. It's just not right. helpful. If We should be sinking our energies not into these distractions by just putting a label on whether or not a sports figure is kneeling or standing and then right. trying to align that with some kind of sense of spiritual accomplishment. And instead, can we really get about a about the work of the kingdom. It's, it's yeah. what, you know, everybody said it's so easy just to throw things online. It's much more difficult to live that out. And that's true. But this was just, I was like, man, this is just a waste. And I, I think, unfortunately, it just creates the wrong impression on every yeah. single side, honestly. Yeah. I don't think there's any side that's like, yes, this is awesome for us. And I, I think everybody's like, no, that misrepresents what we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's happening on both sides. Yeah, I think one of the things that people, if they watch our social media, will notice is that other than posting links to our shows, I don't really do anything with Twitter. And yeah, right. Tw Twitter as a vehicle, as a medium, just is not useful. I, I don't think it's useful for anything other than like fighting. Like, like there's no good way to say that. Like, it, it uh, there's a. Um, there's a, a pastor that both of both you and I know and love who is not the most technologically savvy person. And what's funny is he, he was on Twitter for like a day and within a day he he was already like in an aggressive fight with an atheist. And like <laughs> like this person and, and I don't you probably don't realize who I'm talking about, but like no, no, this I do. person this I do. person is n that's not them. Like that's right, just not right. them. He he doesn't get into uh, it's not that he's not capable of doing apologetics. It, it's not that he doesn't know how to do that or even enjoy it on some level, but it's just not him to get into these like verbal spats with anybody, let alone with, with people on the internet. And it was like, I saw that it was happening. I was like, what in the world is going on? And I came to the conclusion. I actually like stopped using Twitter after that day. Cause I came to the conclusion that the whole point is that Twitter is just a breeding ground for people to argue and fight and misunderstand each other in ways that isn't fruitful. Sure. I mean, 
obviously lots of social media can be that way, but I, I know who you're talking about. And he was actually yeah. that person, he was like sought out by this guy who was an atheist. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, provoked. I'm sure that he didn't start the fight, but like, right. it's the kind of situation you and I know this person. Well, it's the kind of situation where he, he would have just like walked away. He probably right. would have nodded right. and, and said like, Oh yeah, well that, you're entitled to your perspective. And, and you know, he wouldn't have engaged that kind of like aggressive behavior in person but he did on on Twitter, and it was just very jarring to me to see that because it just is not characteristic. And so I think in general, Christians need to be very careful. Uh, Twitter is – it seems like Twitter is a breeding ground for this, but I've seen it on Instagram. Facebook is a little easier to express yourself because you don't have the same character limits. But Christians need to be very careful with what they communicate because those words are out there. And one of the things that happens with written communication particularly is once they're out there, you have zero control over it. People right. are going to interpret your written your written words um, however they want, and you don't have any you don't have any ability to change that in most cases. Even like doing a podcast like this, we have the ability to go back and explain what we meant. We have the ability to use our tone of voice to express what we're being sarcastic about, what we're not. That's not there in most text conversations. So just be careful with how you interact online. That's a good word always. And there's lots more that's been written about good principles in doing that, especially from a Christian perspective. So I would encourage people just to be more thoughtful. And I need to do that too. Uh, but I think here was, it's, it's easy, especially online, to express a, actually to betray, again, like you're saying, an equation of biblical principles yeah. with some kind of sense of American culture. And that should be like a place where we start with, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now and the tendency to want to comment on that stuff. Just yeah. be careful. I guess that's all I'm saying is we all need to be a little bit more careful about that. Yeah. Well, we are now like 35 minutes into a 60 minute podcast. So we still haven't gotten to our <laughs> topic. So we probably should change gears and actually talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So this is one of those bookcast episodes. We're in the book Reformed Preaching by Dr. Joel Beakey. And we're in chapter 22, which means if you're tracking at home for the two people that are, we're really only <laughs> counting this chapter three chapters away from the end. And we've been in a, quite a journey with Dr. Joel Beakey going through all different facets of Reformed preaching and then examples of Reformed preachers and what their preaching is like. And he's really drawing us to a conclusion as I think he's yes. trying to summarize all the salient points that he's been developing all along. And yeah. so the, the title of this chapter is Effective Preaching About God and Man. And I found this to be refreshingly pragmatic and practical. Yeah. And you can tell he's really bringing us up to the pinnacle. He's bringing us up to the mountaintop as he tries to close this out. And I just wanted to start with reading the very last paragraph, because I think this is as good as any, a description I've heard about this idea of man and God and the knowledge that we have being mostly settled on understanding those two things properly. And so if everybody will indulge me, I just want to read that last chapter, what he calls the conclusion, last chapter, last paragraph. <laughs> We're just going to read the rest of the book for you because I think this is just so beautifully written and I think it's a great place to start. So Beaky writes, the human race created in God's image, but fallen into misery through sin is like a king's castle ruined by an earthquake, abandoned by the king and inhabited by bats and rodents. On the one hand, there remains a beauty and a majesty about the ruins that can inspire awe. The remains of great towers, pillared halls and high walls suggest its noble past. It's broken, empty, full of rubbish, dangerous in its instability and tendency to further collapse and facing the great threat of demolition. So it is with the human race, but... Praise God, the great king is reclaiming his ancestral home. How to preach that good news is the subject of the next chapter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was just a great chapter. And this is one of those one of those chapters in a book like this where you read it, and on one level, you're like, yeah, like th this this isn't groundbreaking. It's not anything new right. that I, I, I'm, I'm encountering something I've never thought about before. But... You know, Mike Horton talks about in the book Ordinary, which is just a phenomenal book. He talks about how, like, you'll have a hundred meals and you won't remember any of them, but yet you still ate and you're still nourished and you yes. still digested it. Carl Truman uses a similar kind of analogy where he says he knows that he took Latin. He doesn't remember any particular lesson, yet he still can read Latin. And this this is one of those chapters where, like, you go through it, you read it and you're like, oh, yeah. 
and you, you're not going to remember anything specific about it a month after reading it like you might with some of the other chapters where you're reading about these figures you are, are familiar with but not in certain ways. But this chapter was just a good refresher on the basic kind of contours of what we talk about when we talk about the relationship between God and man and how, how do we preach that? You know, John Calvin is famous for starting off the institutes of the Christian religion by saying like the knowledge of God and the knowledge of man are interdependent on each other. Right. You can't have true knowledge of yourself until you have knowledge of God, but you also can't really understand God until you have a true understanding of who you are as a sinful fallen creature. Right. There are some really killer quotes in yeah. this chapter. Among them is the one you just mentioned. He actually starts up the chapter with John Calvin saying, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of yeah. God and of ourselves. And then Beaky says this, and I, I wanted to throw this at you because I want to take what he's talking about here because I think he's probing into something here that's really contemporary. And so Beaky says, if preaching leaves our people knowledgeable in principles for living, but ignorant of the triune God, then we have failed. Yeah. And I actually think that is like, you could put that label on so much of preaching right now, like just mainstream kind of watered down evangelical preaching, because there's so much now that's focused on the sense of morality or what we need is to just take Christian ideals. And if we could somehow abstract them, distill maybe salient parts that we agree with down into rules for more quote unquote abundant or efficient or comfortable living, yeah. that's what good preaching does, right? It gives you instruction and then you walk out the door and you have something upon which you can change your Monday morning because you have some new rules or you've heard some new suggestions, some new life hacks from the pulpit. Yeah. And so I, after reading this, I have to wonder if proper application of the text, of the biblical text, requires a proper teaching and internalization of covenant, not necessarily just covenant theology writ large, but the, the covenants themselves. That, In other words, what we're missing here is that God is a covenantal God, that his love for us is in some way, and I want to be careful of my language here, but is in some way predicated on action and behavior. That is, it's not entirely merciful without Jesus Christ. Right. And so like he goes on to say, like, man is not a helpless victim of fate. He's a rational creature under a covenant of accountability for his works. But what I want to throw to you as a question is, do you think either in whole or at least in part that part of the reason why we have these principles for living, but ignorance of God is because we've lost sight of understanding that God is covenant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that that's definitely right on, right? We, we distill the scripture down to, I mean, we've made this joke before, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth, right? We love burlap <laughs> well cashmere, but like we distill the scripture down into these principles and you know, I try not to bash on any specific church, so I'm not going to say the name of the church. But when I visited Minnesota this last um, October, whenever it was that I was in Minnesota last, I visited a church that I, I was very familiar with when I lived there. And I loved and, and I loved the people there and it was a joy to worship with them. Um, and it was a it wasn't a guest preacher, but I think it was like an associate preacher. He was one of the newer pastors on on staff. And I was not there to critique the sermon. I did not go with the purpose of doing that. But they were in this series kind of talking about the refugee crisis and how as Christians should we react to the refugee crisis, which I'm not opposed to talk topical sermons. I'm not opposed to tackling a particular issue and, and using that thematically to, and, and Dr. Beaky talks about that. Like some pastors in the Reformation did that. And he, he says it's not entirely appropriate, inappropriate to do that as long as you're you're still expositing the scripture. You can arrange your scriptures around your, your sermons around a topic, however you wish. Sure. But this sermon, literally we were 25 minutes into the sermon and not a single scripture had been read, read, not a single one had even been referenced. And then when we got to that first scripture reference, um, the scripture reference was read and, and applied and it was totally taken out of context, completely taken out of context. And, and I sat there thinking, um, you know, this whole sermon has been about something we ought to do, right? There was nothing in his sermon that was bad, bad direction or bad application of God's law, right? God says we should be kind to strangers and aliens. That has to have something to do with how we handle people fleeing, you know, violence and illness and war in their country, right? People who come to our country, the church has an obligation to treat refugees kindly, 
Now, we also have an obligation, as we talked about last week, to obey the laws of the land. There's there's this whole dynamic that plays in, but that's not the point. The point is that the application of this law or this, this principle was not wrong, but it was totally abstracted from any sort of understanding of how that relates to what God expects of us as Christians. And I remember it was it was... Uh, this was maybe one of those like smart aleck moments that I, I should have maybe held my tongue a little bit more. But one of the staff members who knew me came up to me and asked me, um, you know, what, what did you think of the sermon? And they weren't like asking. It was kind of a general question. Right. And I looked back and I said to them, well, it took me 25 minutes before I heard a scripture reference. And I still don't know what the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved is. And, and like I said it a little flippantly. But it was my honest assessment. Like my my mother uh, is is a nominal Christian at best, and I've been thinking about like what would what what church would I send her to in the Twin Cities if she told me all of a sudden she wanted to go start going to church? I, I wouldn't send her this church because the answer to what must I do to be saved was not present. It wasn't present in that sermon. And, and in this case, it wasn't even an answer to the question, what must I do to be holy in the presence of a righteous God, right? That's the purpose of the law is to describe to us what is necessary for righteousness. Even that wasn't presented because it was entirely divorced from this concept of covenant, right? There, there was this understanding that we have moral obligations, but it was abstracted from the concept that we have those moral obligations because there's a moral lawgiver right. who holds those obligations over right. us. So I think you're right that if we, di- if we abstract moral principles from the moral lawgiver, then all we end up with is this sort of like self-helpy kind of here's some nice things you ought to consider rather than real law-driven preaching that drives you to the gospel. Because there never was the, – the one thing I'll say is there was one part where he quoted um, he quoted Jesus when he's – you know, that the uh, depart from me, I never knew you section where he says like, well, I was in prison. You didn't come visit me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. He actually said like, if we want to maintain a relationship with Jesus, then we're expected to do these good works. And I went, ooh, like, that's yeah, not good. That's right. But, but when you abstract – when you abstract from this covenant principle, covenant of works, covenant of grace, and what those things are and how they how they relate to our salvation, when you abstract those things, that's what you're left with. Either you have the default mode of humankind, which is a covenant of works. That's how the, 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 the works that we do, we think somehow bring us to God because that's you know constitutive of our nature. That's how Adam was designed, was created, was that he was created to be in this covenant of works. Either we're left with that or we're left with some moral principles that are at best some sort of nice suggestion. Yes. That, and that's the bottom line, I think, is what to what do you give hegemony? And right. I actually think that based on what you just said, what I'm seeing in our culture is the idea of kind of flippant evangelicalism that focuses mostly on one side of that covenant, that God right. is here to bless us and to give us good things and he wants to love on us. All that stuff is in some ways, maybe at best, just a partial truth, but that is closer to moralistic atheism than it is to the Bible. Because in the same way that an atheist can be moral, there is no good reason for them to be moral. So as you said, if you divorce a moral law giver in the covenantal spectrum from the covenant itself, then all you're doing is just trying to hope or hopefully making people manufacture some sense of accountability to basically themselves as opposed to understanding that there is something that God requires. It's a bit like there is this nuance between the idea that when Jesus comes, of course, he comes and he does bring a sword. He's a divider in terms of how people understand him and know them, whether the spirits open their eyes or whether they're not, whether he's setting people on the course for heaven or for hell, if we parse it out that way. And yet at the same time, he's not bringing to come. He's not coming to bring condemnation, but yet we need to tell people of sin so that they can see the need for this great savior because they are great sinners. All the while he's saying, I'm coming not to bring condemnation, but he is coming to divide. Right. And so uh, we just need this covenant here. And I was really struck by what Beaky was writing when he talks about experiential preaching of the glory of God, and experiential preaching of man. To me, it all got wrapped up. It seemed to come together in this idea of are our churches, our pastors, our Bible studies, are us individually, are we remembering the covenantal nature of God And in that way, even though Jesus Christ has come and has mediated and propitiated this covenant, that at the same time, there are requirements and we fall under those requirements. So to take just one side or the other is to dramatically distort the gospel to such a degree that it actually is no longer good news or it's so watered down. 
that I have no sense that this is my obligation, not moral obligation. This is my duty to reverence for God. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think that it's true and, and maybe people can check my math on this, but I think that it's true that you will either preach the covenant of works. You'll, you'll preach in a way that binds people to a covenant of works, or you will preach the gospel. And, and, and whether it's, whether it's Stephen Furtick, right? If you just have enough faith, if you just have enough faith, you're going to have the favor. Like that's my best uh, Joel Olstein, you know, yeah, whether it's, it's so Stephen, good. whether it's Stephen Furtick reading you into the scripture and saying like you got to be David who defeats the giant, or whether it's Joel Olstein talking about as long as you have a positive attitude, things are going to go well for you, or it's Bill Johnson saying as long as you have enough faith, the Holy Spirit will raise the dead. Like all of those things are just the covenant of works, right? If you do X, God is obligated to do Y. If you pray hard enough and have enough faith, God is obligated to, you know, raise the dead. If you have a positive attitude, if you speak words of positivity, then God is going to give you the parking spot you work. If you, uh, if you defeat the giants in your life, God is going to bless you with an abundant experience, right? All of it's just a covenant of works, right? If you obey this law, the only difference is that they're not drawing on actual like biblical laws. But, but sometimes people do, right? If, if, you, uh, if you raise a child up in the way that he should go, he'll not depart from it when he's old, right? That can be applied as law in that people can say like, well, yeah, if, if your kid walks away from the faith as an adult, then obviously you didn't, you didn't obey that command properly, right? right? So either you're going to do that, and that's the default mode of humankind, or you're going to preach the gospel, which is by definition not the default mode of humankind. Because it's a radical intrusion of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus in our lives. It's an intervention by the creator of the universe to circumvent the, the natural order of things, right? The, the Westminster Confession also calls uh, the covenant of works a covenant of nature, right? Yes. It's the natural arrangement of the universe. Right on. Right? So God, God circumvents the natural arrangement of things in order to bring us to salvation because the natural arrangement of things only has sinners ending up in hell. So if you don't do that, if you don't keep that covenant context and, and make that transition, and we're going to talk about that in the next chapter, right? Th- this one has been mostly about how do you preach God contrasted with man? And then how do you preach man as sinner, right? It's kind of the whole context of this next week or next chapter, he talks about how do you, now how do you actually preach the gospel out of that? But you have to maintain that connection, even just preaching sin apart from a covenant context really just then turns it into like universal principles rather than a moral law that's imposed by the creator of the universe who has a, who not only has an obligation, he has the right to impose whatever moral obligations he so chooses insofar as it's consistent with his nature. So when you divorce that covenant element of it, I think you're right that we do end up with some sort of weird moralism that that's foreign to what the scripture is trying to do. Right. And Beaky touches on that, I think, in such a marvelous way. That, yeah. that, again, this chapter is just worth reading if you have a couple minutes because it's a, a great refresher on all these points. One of the things that I really like that he touches on is something that I think you and I really aspire to do. And that is, as we're te- speaking about theology, as we're trying to study it and understand it better, that at the same time, in th- that should be like effective preaching in that it doesn't merely inform people about God, but it actually right. glorifies God. And I love, again, so many amazing quotes. I, I feel like Beaky just has, like the amount of quotes he probably knows from the Puritans in particular, or like, I don't know, has on a whiteboard somewhere must be exceptional because he always seems to apply the right ones in the right time. Yeah. And in this chapter, he goes to Thomas Watson quite a bit and he uses him to talk about how we glorify God when we are quote unquote God admirers. Those two words really struck me. I I just think that's beautiful because it rallies the emotion into the mind. And so this idea of it's one thing to just speak highly about God, but it's what are your affections like when you're by yourself? I mean, there's all people and things that we admire. The question is, is God among that list? I mean, that's a hard question for me to answer because I think there's times when I respect him intellectually or I look upon him with awe because of what he's done or because of his creative abilities or because of the way in which he's organized all of creation. And then this grand arc of redemption in the story of the scriptures of which I am a part of. And the problem I was thinking about was I was really convicted because I found that there was some continuity with that idea in the way I admired JK Rowling for the way she put together the Harry Potter story. Yeah. 
And the question is, are we God admirers? Yeah. We glorify God when we show him or shower him rather with affection. And so he t- goes to Watson again saying, a love of delight as a man's heart is set upon his treasure. And so I think this, maybe I'm just the only one. I think rallying the feeling behind the proper truth and maybe again, this is a matter of making sure that the truth is so internalized and the essence of my being that it does then bring along with it, carry along with it, even if it's kicking and screaming, these emotions that are appropriate in response to that truth. But I think we, it, it is something to be said to cultivate that. Part of the covenantal cultivation is the sense that when you are in a covenant with a party, you are bound to them in a way that is so profound and so intimate that I think there is affection that is part of it. There are feelings and emotions that get wrapped up into it. And that's as true with marriage as it is possibly with your car loan. All these are truths of the covenantal being. And so I want to be more of a God admirer because I think, if I'm honest, that is where there's a large gap between my theological understanding and the way in which I live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that this is a chapter that, that bears reading a couple times too, because there's not only is there this good sort of like overarching theological point, but there are several like sub points and specific, like the other thing that I love about Dr. Beakey's writings, and this is a very Puritan way to write is everything's broken down into like sub points, right? There's right. like, here, here's how you preach about preach to God's masterpiece in creation. Like, and, and he, what he's talking about that is like, here's how you preach in reference to the fact that man is the pinnacle of God's creation. And he talks about like preaching about injustice and how like even racial inequality is an affront to the image of God in man. And so like he, he brings that all out. So this chapter bears reading a couple times, but I'm excited to finish this book because I think, you know, it's been a, it's been an exercise going through this whole book and kind of walking through this together. And, you know, I'm excited to keep going, but I'm excited to be done with it because I think what's, what's great about this book is like, it, it's it's tough to digest. It's not a very difficult read, but there's so much to think about. I actually find myself kind of tired after I read it because yes, it's like I my agree. mind, he starts you with, it's a simple book, but he starts your mind going on all these different elements of what he's talking about that aren't really explicated in the text, but are there for you to chew on. Yeah. You know what I think as we've gone through this and we're approaching the end, I'm in full agreement with you. And what I'm starting to realize is it's possible to, for me at least, that good theology has is emotionally taxing because yes. it's not just concerned about elevating the mind and forcing you to wrestle with concepts that might be, again, an intellectual challenge or might require some kind of quantitative or qualitative analysis that you haven't done before, but that it pushes through some of that to say, but does this change how you feel and live? Does this change the kind of person you are when you're all by yourself? And the weighing out of those things, the moving from just the, here's an idea to this is a way of living and of life and is what God requires of you. That does get exhausting because it's like, you're constantly evaluating. He's constantly pushing on you to say things like, you know, he says at one point in regards to all of what he talks about in this chapter, no preaching or what he says something like, um, I had the quote up and I've just totally lost it. And this is making for excellent, excellent (laughs) podcasting. So he quotes, uh, here it is. He quotes Philip Brooks and he says, whatever is in the sermon must be in the preacher first. Now that you could slap on a bumper sticker. It's so glorious and beautiful and pithy. The question is, when we read that, do we turn that inside out? Do we try right. to focus on ourselves and say like, well, it's one thing you can, you talk a good game, you pray in a certain way, you know, the right words to say. But the question is like, it's possible all that stuff could still entirely lack power, both your influence, your testimony, and the things that you're trying to communicate. If yeah. in fact, what you're saying is not actually within you to begin with. So yeah. it's in some ways no different than Paul saying test to see whether or not you were in the faith, but that's the exhausting part, isn't it? How many of us, take Paul at his word regularly. And even maybe even, let's say, I hate to use this term, religiously set aside time yeah. each week to test ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith that we profess. Not yeah. as a method of saying, are we eternally secure? But as a way of saying, what is really our level and commitment to the piety that Jesus Christ models for us that yeah. is the fruit of <clears throat> abundant living? That's something altogether so much more difficult than just saying, well, how many questions can you answer in any catechism? I mean, that, that's a little bit more quantitative. This, yeah. this idea of subjectively trying to take assessment is just hard. Who wants to do that? Like, I don't think maybe there are people whose head pops off the pillow in the morning is like, I can't wait 
to evaluate my spiritual condition and how closely I'm following after the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I yeah. just can't wait to spend 45 minutes in meditation over that so that I can make sure that I'm honoring God with my life. That has not been my experience, and yet I just desperately need the Holy Spirit to continue to prod me. And this work of Dr. Beaky, this whole text, has in many ways done that. He's sneaky. Because like he comes yeah. at you with the like, let's talk about preaching and a little bit of technique and a little bit of examples, but all the while he's after our hearts. He yeah. really is. And so he's pushing on us to do the kind of investigation that is with the Holy Spirit holding up the magnifying glass in the inner recesses and saying, I can see it all. Yeah. And let's deal with what's going on here. Let's get down to business. <laughs> Sorry, I just... Do you you know heard what? a Disney. You're hearing a Disney song in your head, aren't you? Yes. Let's get down to business. It was one of those things where yes. as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, "Wait a second! Does everybody know about that? That that's where I just quoted that from?" Such a good role, too, man. You had like you had like the passion. There was a little bit of spittle on your lip, like you were rocking it, and then you totally man. just crashed. I'm listen. One thing I've realized as we've done this book, as we've done this podcast now 197 <laughs> times, I know is I spit a lot more on my screen. Like I'm going to have to clean this screen down <laughs> after we're done. So, but I'm yeah. with you. It, it'll be, you know, when you have a good book like this and it's a marathon journey, there's something just beautiful. It's a gift of God to give us this kind of literature, this kind of medium, which to deliver truth because it's, you go on such a journey that at the end, it's like having saying goodbye to a good friend. And yet you look yeah. back on that time and think about just the, the fruitful experiences you've had. And you know, a good book, of course, changes you forever. And right. so there's, there's definitely things I'm going to carry along with this. So we've got just two chapters left. So again, we say this every time you can still get the book and you really ought to pastor or not. This is a book for the church. It is. And this is a book that's really going to help those who are lay people listen better to preaching, to discern preaching much better. And for those who are preachers, man, you should just pick this up because I think it's going to fire you up. It's yeah. going to get you rekindled and excited about the calling that God has put on your life. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I, we made the point early on in this that even if you're not a preacher— you need to have zero preaching responsibilities and zero aspirations to ever have preaching responsibilities. This book will make you a better sermon listener, which when you really think about it, like the sermon is the primary place that God addresses us in, right. in the church. I, I know like that's sometimes a controversial statement, but as far as the reformed tradition is, go, is, is concerned, sitting under the preaching of the word is more significant in the life of a Christian than personal scripture reading. Right. Like the yes. Westminster Confession yes, says absolutely. that like the word is made effectual unto salvation yes. in the reading and especially the, the preaching of the word. So, so using this book as a way to learn to be a better sermon listener, whatever that's called, is, is a valuable use of this book. And you're right. It will change you. And, and I've noticed even as I've started to think about the preaching of the word in this experiential way that Dr. Beaky has taught us. I've noticed that I'm not, I'm no longer critical of sermons in the way I used to be. I used to be critical from a technical point of view. Like I used to be critical of like, oh, they didn't really pronounce that Greek word right. Or oh, that, that really isn't the best use of that verse. And now I'm looking at it like, all right, did that sermon, did that sermon penetrate to my heart? Was it, was it a sermon that right. actually landed in my soul? Or was it kind of a surface level sermon that doesn't really do anything? And, and you know what? Some of the best sermons that really hit you in the heart those ones are the ones that aren't always the most technically proficient sermons. And some of the ones that are the most technically proficient, you walk out of there, you don't remember a thing about it and you never will. Right. I, nobody's going to remember that you had this really great insight in the you know, past present participle of, of ergetsomai, right? Nobody cares a week later. Nobody even remembers a week later. <laughs> Good <right>? example. <laughs> yeah. I just made that up. I don't know if there's, I said past present participle. So obviously I made that up, but the point is like, Listening to a sermon, being an active congregation member involves appropriating the sermon into your soul and recognizing that the purpose of preaching is not just the conveyance of information, but the transformation of the listener's heart and mind right. according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's something that I think we can walk away from this, this chapter particularly, but also from the book as a whole, really firmly understanding. You just gave me a great idea for another episode that I'd love for us to start right now, but we would go on for another four hours. But yeah, And it's like a hundred degrees in this room. I'm about to pass out. <laughs> 
<laughs> you do look a little sweaty. I'm going to so have to go take a shower after me, this. It's gross. Let me just, well, that's, that's how our podcasting goes. It's just so good. We get so heated up that sometimes you just got to cool. You got to hit the showers afterwards. Yeah. Um, but this is something I would challenge people on until we get to this episode by a title, something like this is everybody should ask themselves why it is that that statement that you just gave could be controversial. The fact that right. God primarily delivers the gospel, the message uh, through preaching. Why yeah. is it that we are at some level, especially again in our culture, bristle at that or so reticent to sometimes accept that full stop? I would challenge everybody to go through the scriptures, especially through the book of Acts, and test whether or not that is true. If we can all get behind the fact that that is true, that by itself will radically change how we view the Lord's Day. And I think so many other things will fall in place for us. At least it has for me in when yeah. I came to a proper understanding of just how important preaching is. This is not just as if God happened to choose this medium or he endorses it on the side. This, this is like, this is it. Yeah. This is, this is the thing. It's yeah. the thing. So, you know, p- a passive, uh, private interpretation of the scriptures, programmatic stuff, like all of that, tail and not dog. This is the thing. Yeah. So we, we really need to get behind that. And I would challenge people to go through the scriptures and look for that, test that, the statement that you gave and see what you find to be true as the, you're all sensible people. The Holy spirit will lead us into truth on that. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I, I feel like it's a little sad that we're coming to the end of this book, but on another hand, like I'm excited to see kind of like what we're going to do next. So if you, as a listener, have an idea for a short book. We're going to try to do a shorter book for our next run, but a shorter book that we can get through in maybe four or five episodes. If you have an idea for a book that you'd like to see us kind of like digest in public, we're not doing a, an in-depth deep dive, right? This isn't Voss Group. It's not Bobcast. Both of those are valuable, but that's just not what we're doing. Um, but if you have an idea for a book that you'd like to see us kind of like metabolize and digest on, you know, on the air, then let us know. Shoot us an email at info at reformbrotherhood.com. And we would love to hear your ideas. Cause like I said, we've said this a bunch of times. We want this show to be useful and profitable for the people who are listening. Right. Jesse and I would make the show whether or not people listen, but since people happen to be listening, we want it to be useful for you. So please let us know if you have thoughts or ideas um, for books or series, anything that you'd like to hear us talk about, we would love to do it and keep those questions coming because we, a lot of times we have, whole shows that come out of uh, a question that someone asks, whether it's in a voicemail or whether it's uh, in an email, we do still prefer voicemail because we like to get other people's voices on there. But if you don't have access to some way to get us an audio clip, then just shoot us an email info at reformbrotherhood.com. So let me clarify a couple things as we close to help people out in doing this with us. First is that that book cannot be the shack. Tony and I will not be reading the shack and talking about that. No. <laughs> so just in case somebody was like, well, that's nonsense. So I'd like to have them read it and talk if, about it. If we get a serious recommendation to go through the shack, then I'm shutting the show down. So just, just <laughs> well, don't I'm, do it. I'm sure somebody would be like, can you just read this book and dismantle all this nonsense so I can talk we're to people about it? We're not even going to do that. We're, it's, we're not going to do that kind of style. garbage. That's yeah, we're the not, whole, that's the summary. We're not going to do that. We want to read edifying yes. stuff. And so the reason why we're bringing this up now is because, you know, this was our first go through of this book club, but we kind of do feel like it's a legit book club. So we'd like to pick something that's approachable for people in terms of length so that others will join us. We really do want people to be reading with us. And I've tracked with many who have said they have, and I appreciate them so much. So brothers and sisters, let's get a book together that we can read together and have a little discussion among ourselves and then among those in your own sphere of influence. The second thing is with respect to questions, we always want your questions and And if you're saying, well, how can I improve the chances of my question being addressed on a podcast? There's a couple of things you can do. One is you can ask a nice, clear, cogent question. Like clear questions are the best. And two, it can be relatively brief. So there's nothing. We love to hear emails where people talk and expound about lots of things. We listen to all of them and honestly, we cherish them all. But for the purposes of being able to communicate, it's always best if you have a nice, succinct question. And I know so many of you do have so many good questions out there that are nice and brief. So please feel free to call. You don't have to rehearse. Like there's no pressure. Just get on the where there. I mean, there's no. There's no um, net with this, as you can yeah. tell from my stuttering. Yeah, There's and no also, as you can mail. tell from me, accidentally talking about how people use burner emails to access <laughs> naughty sites and not get caught <laughs> unintentionally. Uh, well, we've come 
come full, full circle. So yes. everybody get involved. Email us, call us. What is the number, by the way? So that if, in case somebody's like, you never gave out the number, what is the number to leave a voicemail? 607-444-2767. Bros. It Bros. is B-R-O-S. In case yes. you were like, ah, I can get the first six digits, but I just don't want to <laughs> remember any more beyond that. That's fine. Yeah. You can just remember. It's... Something, 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 bro. Yeah. <laughs> I can never remember the number. Jesse, you know how when you're on a flight and you get to that <laughs> point where they say they're they're like they're announcing we're about to make our final descent into whatever city, and, and then Michael you, Tate is there, and then you fly around in a circle for another <laughs> hour and you have no idea why. <laughs> That's what's happening right now. So I'm just gonna land. I'm us. just gonna make an emergency landing. So buckle your seatbelts. Okay. Until next time, honor everyone. (laughs) Love the brotherhood. (laughs) 